While in our studies in the book of Luke, we're in the end of chapter 3. We've come to this part that I haven't been looking forward to. Verses 23 to the end of the chapter, verse 38. And the only reason I don't look forward to it is all these names. Because there's a good lesson in the names, but the names. I, I once took part in an international singing competition with a male choir of New Zealand and we had to go to Frangochlan in Wales and we had to learn five of our numbers in Welsh. Oh, it was like, it was like hell this side of hell, you know, not quite known. So if you ever want to do a speech competition, don't use this passage. Any volunteers at this stage? No. All right, I'll do it. Let's go. Luke chapter 3. This is God's inspired word. He's included this passage in his word, and so it's as important as any other passage. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, take note of that phrase please, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, or Heli, depending on which translation you use, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, or Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Hesli, the son of Nagai. Are you feeling inspired yet? Good, good, carry on. The son of Marth, the son of Mattathias, he features quite a few times. The son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Almadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mata, uh, sorry, Mat-tat, let me be precise, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Matata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, we're going to come back to him, the son of uh, Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admon, there's the first bureaucrat, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, now we start knowing a few names, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Heba, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphasak, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahlahil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. And here endeth the lesson. Genealogies. 
Are they just a list of names? When you read that list, was it just a list of names? I'm sure a lot of you are aware of the TV program called Who Do You Think You Are? It's quite interesting, actually, where people go back into their genealogies and they go and look at these forefathers and mothers. And it's actually very interesting. Now, I want to just share with you a little bit of my genealogy and Alice's genealogy. And believe it or not, our genealogies crossed in the year 1899. That's way before we got married, by the way. I just thought I'd say that, if you look at me. Um, and we both come from the country of South Africa. Our, I don't know how many great-great-great-grandfathers these are, but anyway, our forefathers, our great-grandfathers. One was a Boer on my side, and on Alice's side was a Brit. And they were involved in the Anglo-Boer War. And you would well be aware of that because quite a few people from New Zealand participated and died in that war. And in December of 1899, at specifically the Battle of Modder River near Machersfontein in South Africa, at that time Lord Methuen or Lord Methuen or whichever way you'd like to say that, he was commander-in-chief of the British forces in South Africa. And the Boer forces were under... General De La Rey, and he was one of my mother's forefathers. A regiment called the Mountain Scots under Lieutenant General Warshop walked right into a Boer trap against all advice. And very, very early in the morning, the Boers opened fire on all these advancing British forces just marching across the fields, or the felt, as we say in South Africa, the savannah. And they just opened up on them, and there was slaughter. It's a very sad part of our history. What we do know is that one of the Brits on on Alice's side, he was severely wounded at that battle. And it might have been from a bullet from my great-great-great-grandfather, who knows. But many people were wounded or killed on both sides. And yet, the, the fickleness of it all, here we are a few generations later, and we are married. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, that's a bit about our genealogy. What about yours? Have you ever gone into yours? And you might find some interesting personalities. You might find ones there that you'd rather not talk about. But all those people have had an influence on who and where you are today. Some of them might have moved countries, like we did. Some of them might have come from Britain to New Zealand. Some of them might have moved inside New Zealand, from Wellington to Whanganui, and that's why you're here today. Some of them might have inherited millions, and others, unfortunately, might have spent those millions, and that's why you are where you are today. But genealogies are not just a list of names. When we read through this passage in the book of Luke, how little we know of these 75 people whose names are listed here. We can hardly say their names. And yet they're listed here for us to take note of. And all these people, all 75 of them, had their joys and their sorrows. They had their hopes and their fears. They had their cares and their troubles, like you and I do. They had their schemes and their big plans, like ourselves. One day, they passed away, we will, unless the Lord comes before. 
But what a legacy these people have left behind for us today. But we need to just take note. Is this list of names in Scripture, is it just a sentimental list of names? Is it just another genealogy? You see, these lists, this list of names is included in God's Word for a purpose. It's there to teach us a lesson. But what is that lesson? I asked myself that for quite a long time. What is the lesson, Lord, you want to teach us? This genealogy and the one in Matthew, you can look back in your, in your Bible, they are parallel genealogies, and yet you'll find different names there. And this is one area where the Bible comes under attack often. People will say, you see, there are differences in the genealogies. How can it be true? Which one do we believe? It's like looking at a Chihuahua and looking at a St. Bernard. They're kind of very different and they look different. And saying, well, they can't both be dogs. You see, there's a purpose in each one. The St. Bernard was bred for rescue, to be strong, to be big, to be out there with a bit of brandy around the neck. Chihuahua, I don't know what that's bred for. It's like to be other dogs' breakfast, I think. But no, inten- no offense here if anyone has one. But you see, we've got to ask ourselves when it comes to these genealogies, what is the intended function of this genealogy? And that will determine whose names are included. Keep that in mind as we go through. Both Jews and Greeks saw it as very, very important to keep records of ancestry. The Jews kept these records to trace covenant links. And so... And the Greeks, they kept record because they just loved history. And so we have to ask ourselves, so were these accounts in Matthew and Luke, were they just an exercise in record keeping them? Or to indulge the Greek love of tracing their roots? Is that why it's here? Is that why Luke included this in his record? Well, let's just go and look a little bit at at the differences between Matthew and Luke and those genealogies. And please hear me today, we cannot do everything here today. We'll be here a very long time. Thick books have been written just about this, and we're not going to do that. So I'm just going to point out the main ones. You see, when you look at Matthew, and if you want to, you can just flick there, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 to 16. Matthew begins his genealogy with Abraham. It's very important to note that. The father of the Jewish people. And he points to, and here's a new word for you, the Messiahship of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He points at the Messiahship through the legal line of the Jewish people. Matthew points out the important Jewish forefathers. He points to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to King David. And he leaves out the less important ancestors in between. It's called telescoping. In other words, it's like going down a shopping aisle. You don't take, well, unless you've got kids with you, you don't take every single item in the aisle and put it in your trolley. You take the important ones you need. So you go past others, you pick another one, and then you carry on. Now, when it comes to genealogies, what Matthew does is he looks as if through a telescope down the lanes of history, and he stops at very important ancestors to the Jewish faith. And he mentions them. The rest he doesn't mention. 
So remember that too, telescoping. It's important if you want to see the difference. So Matthew points to the prominent ancestors. He makes note of them. Luke, however, on the other hand, shows Jesus' relationship to the whole human race. And so he traces back the whole, here's the key word, the bloodline. So Matthew was the, the legal line, the ancestors. Luke traces the bloodline, and he does so accurately. Remember, Luke is an historian. He went and did a lot of research, and because of all the record-keeping on the Jewish side, he could actually extract all the information he wanted as well. And so he points to Jesus' humanity throughout the generations, and he makes sure that he doesn't leave out one generation. He accurately tracks back that generation all the way back to Adam. So that is quite an amazing record that Luke comes up with. Luke points to Jesus' humanity as the Son of Man, but he also clearly shows that Jesus is God. Because if you look back at at Luke, what does he end that account with? Adam, the Son of God. And we're going to get back to that a little later. Luke points past Adam to God as the one responsible for the creation of Jesus incarnate in Mary. And Mary features very strongly, which I'll mention next, in Luke's genealogy. Now, Matthew. Matthew follows the line of Joseph, Jesus' legal father, while Luke emphasizes that of Mary, Jesus' blood relative. Right? Do you get that? It's an important difference there. Legally, Joseph was Jesus' father before the law. But Mary was his real ancestor. She was his blood mother. Not Joseph. We'll get back to that. Luke, as a Gentile, was very careful also to emphasize the truth that salvation was offered both to Gentile and Jew. And here we come to that name Salmon. No, it's not a fish. This is a person. Salmon, he was the husband of Rahab, the prostitute. The one who hung the scarlet cord out the window, the one who hid the spies on her roof. She was a prostitute and yet she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. How is that for encouragement? You see what Luke is pointing to, he's saying, look at these people who've come before. They deliberately, by God's plan in that genealogy, pointing to Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is all men and women can come to him. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. You bow your knee, you confess your sin, you come to the Lord. Now, those apparent errors, and then we'll be through all the the background, all right? Those apparent errors, the first one, and there are quite a few that they'll point to, but I just want to point to three. Matthew lists Joseph's father. If you look in your text, he, he lists Joseph's father as Jacob, while Luke lists Joseph's father as Heli or Eli, depending on which, if you have Nasby or not. So, the one says the father's Jacob, the other one says his father's Heli. Now, it can't be both, can it? It has to be one or the other. Well, the explanation for that is, you see, Joseph, Jacob was Joseph's physical father. He was the one responsible for Joseph to be born physically, with the mother, of course. While Heli was Joseph's father-in-law, he was Mary's father. Now, the Old Testament 
law makes provision that when there were no sons in the family at all, the inheritance would pass on to the daughter and the name of the father would then pass on to the daughter as well if she married within her tribe. And this was exactly what the case was with Mary. She was Heli's only daughter and therefore she is listed through Joseph with her father being represented there. Do you get the difference there? That is why Heli is mentioned. You see, it was very, very important for Luke to show the physical link through Mary and not through Joseph. And that's why he comes to the specific phrase, which, we'll, which I've already pointed out. He who was apparently her father. We'll get back to that one. The second apparent error was this. Verse 31. Luke records Nathan, the second surviving son of Bathsheba, as the son of David, which carries the line down through Heli and Mary. That's interesting. While Matthew records Solomon, the first surviving son, as David's son. And that carries the family line through the royal line, but they both end up with Jesus. You can't get away from that. So through Solomon, the line is followed through the royalty. Through Nathan, it is the physical line, the bloodline. Right? So those are basically the differences. And then the third slide, the third um, area of apparent error is they, they'll look at the text and they'll say, but even in our Bibles, if I take my Bible, which is a NASB here, and you've got an ESV and other people have got a King James or whatever you've got, You'll even notice that between the versions, the names are slightly different. Well, that's easily explained. You see, there's a difference between the names in Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek, depending on which version or which translation your Bible chose to use. And so we've got the name Peter today, all right? And in Afrikaans, his name would be Petrus. Nice, we should call you that. Petrus. My name, Calvin, in Afrikaans is Colfane. So there's a variation there depending on which source you've used. And so we have Aram, Ram, Hezron, Esrom, Perez, Perez. You see, it's you can hear they're related. And that's the only difference. Now, we're finished with the theory, all right? Are you still with me? Great. Now, the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is, so what? What was Luke's overall intention when he put this lineage in the book of Luke? You see, he wants to teach us three things about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to stop on them this morning. The first one is this. By putting this genealogy in God's Word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are taught more about Jesus' humanity. When Jesus was baptized, if you saw a little earlier in our passage, he identified with those he came to save. He said, I've gone before you through the waters of baptism. I lead the way. Now follow me. And here through the genealogy, Luke wants to point out how Jesus further identifies with those he came to save through his being human too. You see that whole bloodline? Jesus was human too, as well as being God. He was fully God, yet fully man. The very fact that Jesus had a family tree like this shows that he was not just a figment of the imagination, or a kind of mythical half-man, half-God, as some would assert today, those liberal theologians. 
he had history. It was a verified, documented history as a man. And therefore we know that Jesus knew what it was to be hungry. He did. You'll see next, he was 40 days without food. I don't know who's that done that before. I haven't. One day and I'm kind of dying. All right? He was 40 days without food. He knew what it was to hunger. He knew what it was to be thirsty in that desert. He knew what it was to be tired as he ministered to people day in, day out, night in, night out. John Blanchard summed it up like this. He said, Jesus was neither superman, super myth, nor superstar. He was none of those. Jesus came to this earth in human likeness, says Philippians 2.7, as part of the human story. And his coming here is recorded in this world's historical genealogies. Alright? You got that point now. And as a man, Jesus can therefore intimately understand your problems and mine, those pressures you and I go through, whether they're modern business pressures or not. Jesus knew what it was to experience pressure. Just think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you ever sweat drops of blood before over pressure? Hebrews 4 verses 15 to 16 says this. Listen to Scripture. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Take comfort from this this morning. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin. There's the difference you see. Let us then, and here's the, here's what we get from this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Whose confidence? Not mine. The very fact of who Jesus is. I come in confidence because of him. Before the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, we're so slow to come before that throne of grace, aren't we? I'd rather bear it in myself, Lord. I'm strong. I can do this. But we can't take it for very long. We need to come so quickly to the throne of grace. We need to come before the Lord and plead before him to help us because of Jesus Christ. Jesus understands who is the one that's there at the right hand of the Father listening to our prayers? Jesus Christ. He's been there. He's done that. He can understand. But we need to come. And so take courage in Jesus this morning. Come to him for comfort in prayer. Come to his word for advice. He's written this word, his inspired word for you and I, as our user manual through this life. Why don't we come to the user manual when we break down? We try and fix ourselves. Come to his word for advice about how to live this life. Jesus understands. He stood in human shoes or sandals. And furthermore, he also has the power to help you. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he the man? Yes, he is the man, but who else is he? He's the son of God. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? He has the power to help us in whatever that situation might be. He is fully God. And so let's take our comfort from his humanity. Secondly, This genealogy supports Jesus' authority as the Messiah, as a a written record. You see, our text says, verse 30, that Jesus started his ministry at 30 years old, or roundabout there. 
And, and Luke states that for record purposes, but also because that was the age when Levites in temple service undertook their service. They started at the age of 30, because that was seen as a time when a man was considered mature. Now, how many 30-year-olds here today? Good news, you are mature. Those of you over that mean you're a bit overripe. Okay, that's like me. But Jesus started at 30 years old because a man was then seen as mature. He was in his mission, whatever that was, and now he could start serving. And Luke records that. Little details, but they all add up. You see, if, if Jesus was really the Messiah, he would need to be able to prove his direct descent from King David as the prophets had foretold and required. And you, need, you can look up these passages at home. I've listed them. Jeremiah 23.5. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 13, there are many prophecies about this one who would come. And he had to be descended from King David. Even before his birth, the angel had spoken of Jesus being given the throne of his father, David. Luke 1, 32. And here in his family tree, if you look at verse 31, we see a name there. What is that name? Jesus was the Son of David. And there it is. And so it supports his authority as the Messiah in a document form. And he is therefore the Messiah, the only one. You see, if he is the Messiah, not just here on paper, if he is the true Messiah, the Son of David, then he is the only one who can save you and I from sin. None of these others could do that, but Jesus could, because he is the Messiah. He can take away your and my transgressions. He can take away your and my rebellion against God. He can give you and I eternal life where before Jesus there is only what? Eternal death. And so therefore we need to trust him with my life. You trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your life this morning. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever here today. If you're an unbeliever here today, you have not yet come to that place where you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ with your whole life. You are still flying your own plane. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Turn your back on him and you will die eternally. So this genealogy supports Jesus' authority as the Messiah. Thirdly, it suggests his Divinity, more than suggests, it proclaims his divinity. I'm wrong. It proclaims his divinity. You see, the final man, if you look back in that family tree, the final man mentioned there is who? Adam. And Adam is described as the son of God. You see, God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. Genesis 1, 27 and chapter 2, verse 7. God created life where there was only dust. He came from God. But this would normally mean that if Jesus was coming from the line of Adam, that he was in the direct line still of a human being, even though God had created Adam. doesn't say that God had created Jesus, does it? And so Luke verifies, he says, some assert that Joseph was his father. And he mentions that very specifically. And it's very important because People did believe that he was the son of the carpenter. The crowds did. They saw Jesus growing up. 
They saw him as a baby in, in Mary and Joseph's home. And they said, this is the son of the carpenter. But Luke says, no, Mary was his mother. God was his father. He had godly origins. Earlier in the narrative, the angel's message to Mary made it clear that the conception of Jesus in her womb would be the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And a few verses earlier, God announces Jesus as my son whom I love. And so that's clear too. And Luke states that. And Luke makes it clear that Jesus is more than just a mere man. He was no less than God. The link to Adam means that the promised king of Israel, listen to this please, this is a further point in progression. The link to Adam means that the promised king of Israel is also the head of the human race. If Jesus is the king of Israel, he is the head of the human race. And therefore, God's promise to Israel becomes our promise in Christ. You see, we as Gentiles have been grafted into blessing alongside the Jews who believe in Jesus. And anyone who trusts Jesus Christ becomes a child of Abraham and you share in the line of the promise. Romans speaks about that. Galatians speaks about that all over. I want to quote you just one section. Romans 4, verse 11 to 12. Take courage from this this morning. If you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile here today, take courage from this. Abraham was made the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Who's that? Gentiles. So Abraham was made the father of Gentiles so that righteous, so that righteous would be counted to them as well. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised. Who's that? The Jews. Who are not, listen to this, merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so if you're a Jew here today and you do not yet have a personal relationship with Jesus, don't rest on that being a Jew. You will not be in heaven because you're a Jew. You need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to have a relationship with him. And as Romans says here, you need to also walk in the footsteps of the faith of your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. So please take note of scripture today. There is no genealogy which will take you into heaven. The only genealogy that will take you into heaven is a spiritual one where you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. No other. And then fourthly, this genealogy shows us God's faithfulness. And this is where I really take a lot of strength from. You see, salvation was God's idea from the very beginning. And this genealogy in Luke is evidence that God keeps his promises. There are the promises. Through every single generation mentioned, God was keeping his promise of faithfulness until Jesus was born. And will God stop now? No. He's going to carry on that spiritual genealogy until when? Until Jesus Christ comes again. Then it stops. And the question you and I need to ask ourselves is, are we part of that spiritual genealogy? Are you a part of it? You see, God made promises to Adam, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, that he would send a saviour. 
And God unfolded that plan of salvation right through from Adam to Abraham, from Isaac to Jacob, from David to Jesus, and everyone in between, whether they're in Matthew or in Luke. God kept his promises and he brought that Messiah. His plan of salvation is unfolded and is unfolding. Present continuous tense. It's still happening. The man Jesus is the very center of human history. He's not just an add-on. And he represents all human beings that put their faith in him, including those who are here today who belong to him. Do you belong to Jesus this morning? If you do, you're part of the spiritual genealogy. And Jesus will make sure that genealogy continues until we get to heaven one day and he comes and we will be with him and that's when it will end and we'll be one big, very happy family. And so our conclusion this morning is this and I want to pose a few questions to you. The hope of salvation for all mankind is found in Jesus Christ only. And this genealogy speaks of the sovereign and the active hand of God in history. Nothing in this world has ever happened and God didn't know about it. God is the sustainer of everything and of everyone. And he will carry his salvation plan through till today. Have you ever traced your genealogy of faith? This is an interesting exercise. Who told you about the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you, do you know the person's name? And do you know who told them about the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked them? And before that, who told them about the Lord Jesus Christ? You see how exciting it gets? Forget about who do you think you are. This one is an eternal one. This really came to the fore when we had our hundredth year anniversary over here. And as people got together, they stood up and gave testimony. That person there told me about the Lord Jesus Christ when I was a little kiddie in Sunday school. Now I'm going for the Lord and I'm serving in Sunday school. I've told people. You see, spiritual genealogy. I've asked you this question and I want to ask it again so that you can't stand blameless before the Lord one day. Is your name part of the continuing genealogy of the Son, of being part of the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Are you part of Jesus' genealogy as you sit here this morning? Do you belong to Him? If not, you are outside of that genealogy. And you need to come and bow your knee before Him. But there's a follow-up question, and this is where it gets harder for you and I as believers. Here's a follow-up question. How is God using you to share the hope of Jesus Christ with others so that their names too can be added to the Lamb's Book of Life? How is God using you specifically to help others to get into the Kingdom of God? You see, we need to ask ourselves, how far forward do you think that this genealogy to do with you will continue in the future? Will the spiritual genealogy carry on to your children? Will it carry on to your grandchildren when you might no longer be there? You see, it all depends on now, what you and I are doing now. Are we opening our mouths and are we living lives that show and point to Jesus Christ? Because if we are, we'll be influencing others and the Holy Spirit will use our testimony and our words 
to speak into someone else's life and they too will be written into this genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we keep our mouths closed, if we live closed lives before people, if you've lived with your colleagues for 30 years and they say, I never knew you were a Christian, how is God using you to have people added to his genealogy? Here's a third application I want you to listen to, and please listen carefully. You see, the only genealogy which counts for us in this life is the one that connects us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll repeat that. The only genealogy which counts for us in this life is the one that connects us to Jesus Christ. His works make our biological roots irrelevant. You know, so often, and I was in education for a long time, I've been in the law courts, I've heard the excuses that come out there in court. Oh, but I grew up in really hard circumstances. You know, you need to understand. Well, yes, they might have been hard. But are you going to let that hold you back? You see, spiritually, if you come to Jesus Christ, no, he's not going to lift you out of those circumstances and suddenly you're going to have a rosy life. No. But he will give you a spiritual genealogy. He will lift you away from your biological roots and all those things which hold you back. You can't use that as an excuse anymore. And he will give you hope. He will give you hope for today. He will give you hope into the future until he comes again. But you need to belong to Jesus Christ. Don't use your background, however those circumstances might have turned out, however terrible they may be. Don't think you can stand before the Lord one day and say, but Lord, look what happened. That's why. The Lord will say, you never knew me. You still don't know me away from me. And so I plead with you this morning, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him and be saved. Don't be held back by the, in this life by where you've come from. Put that behind you. Come to the Lord. Give your heart to him. Let him take those things away from you and then live your life, whether it's still through hardship or not. Live it for and with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And Jesus will give you a whole new beginning and he will give you, listen to this, He will give you eternal history. I want eternal history. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. Who? It doesn't say Jesus. It says the man, Jesus Christ. You see, he's a man, but he's God. That's important. And then I want to close this morning with this reading from Romans. Listen to this, listen to these very encouraging words. This is all made possible by this man, God, Jesus Christ. Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Who would have thought up this? God did. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Who can say to God, Lord, why did you include salmon in there? You know, his wife wasn't such a nice lady. Can we as mere humans say that to the Lord? No. How inscrutable, inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him... And through him and to him 
are all things. And Paul ends there, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So it's to God, isn't it? Luke included this to God's glory. To point to the Messiah. To point you and I to the Messiah. Even as we read all those names. He is pointing to Jesus Christ and saying, Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Because Jesus is the Lord of mankind. And that includes you and I. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, even as we come to this list of names, and I know I have read it through so many times before, and it's nearly boring to read through, Lord. But, Lord, thank you for the truth from your word, that everything in this word that you've given to us points to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, even these 75 names do. Lord, thank you that Jesus Christ is the center of human history. And Lord, thank you for the challenge from your word, that if we open our mouths, if we live lives that glorify you, you will, through your spirit, bring others to know you too. And they too will be written with us into the Lamb's book of life. Lord, thank you that we serve a living God with whom all things are possible. Thank you that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, man and God, who has all power at his disposal. And he can bring life where there is death. He can bring light where there is darkness. And all he asks of us is, be faithful to me. I will do the rest. Lord, make us faithful, not just as individuals, but as this church body here at Wanganu East and whichever other church is represented here. Make us faithful, Lord, faithful to you, the man who is God. Amen.